Yeah, Michael. Oh, hi, Hava. Oh, hi. Do you mind if I eat this burrito? I guess it's okay. You're not even going to charge me to watch you. Mm. <laughs> so good. We, like, weirdly have a pretty good Mexican, South American restaurant near huh. us. It's, like, known as being kind of stupidly good for the context. Right. Well, you know, take what you can get, I guess. Yeah, when you visit, we should hit it up. Yeah. Okay. I'm down. I'm in. How are you? I'm starting off. Oh How are you? Gosh. I can't stop yawning. Baruch Hashem, I'm well. My boyfriend and I went on an errand extravaganza today. We woke up. We went to Staples. We printed out the form for my insurance appeal. And then we went to a place where we could recycle all of our plastic grocery bags, which felt very grown up. That exists? If you just Google recycle plastic grocery bags, there's like one company that does it. And they just have a directory of where their drop-off bins are. Whoa. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So we got rid of like a trash bag worth of bags full of bags. Nice. I love it. And then we went to Target and I got a little table for my porch. So now I can have my coffee on the porch when it's warm, which makes me very happy. Then we dropped off a bunch of stuff at Savers. And then we did our whole grocery shopping for the week. And then we came home. So I feel as if that obliterated the energy from my body. <laughs> I feel that that was a lot to do in one fell swoop, but now it is done. Now it is complete. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Transalacha Project had its one-year anniversary event the other night, and that went really well and was a really magical time. Yeah. I got this book, The Books of Jacob. It's very famous it's a winner of a nobel prize for literature by the polish lady right yes and it's about frankism so right, right. many people suggested that i read it given our shabbatian bent so i'm starting on that but like much literary fiction starts with a very long description of a town which i respect and it's like well written but i have to i've been having to take breaks just like to get through it i'm like please let something happen i know this is literature but I can only listen to descriptions of roofs for so long. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like a Philistine saying it, but, you know. No, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I'm sure it's good, you know. It won a Nobel yeah, Prize. I mean, but, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin said it best, I believe. Her approach to writing was basically like, in poetry, the power is in like the language, and you should be taking time to digest the language. In fiction and prose, what should be happening is the power should be in the story. And if you have to take a moment to be like, wow, what a neat turn of phrase, that has actually distracted you from what should be the essence of fiction. I think you're kind of right about that. It reminds me of like sometimes how I disagree with critics and their opinions of movies and critics will say a movie is really good because it like tickles the critic's brain, like because there's a lot right. of references. And and I am just a poor schlub who whose brain is not tickled by such highfalutin things. Well, it's like they're playing a different game, right? It's like the game that they're playing on the surface, it's supposed to be, is this movie good or bad? But actually, mm -hmm. the game that they're playing is like, what should I say about this movie to my peers? You know, yeah. or something like that. There's other games afoot. I feel like the book in this case is going to be good. It just is taking a little while to build up momentum. Okay, that's good. Anyway, that's the haps in my life. What's going on with you? How are you, Michael? 
Uh, I'm, I'm good. I did a similar, I had errands today, you know? I bought a shovel. I bought, Ooh. A, I bought a rake. A, a regular shovel? Not a snow shovel. A regular shovel. I guess shovel. it would be weird in time in the season to be buying a snow shovel. No, this is a regular shovel, and we got a rake, like a metal, metal rake. For leaves? Yeah, for leaves, and so, you know, it's been a regular, normal uh, day. Very domestic sounding. Very domestic. Yeah, that's about it. Feel good. Feel good. Mm, good. Good. It's funny getting this, I got this table so I can sit on on my porch. In my apartment complex, there are only four units with porches, and I, Baruch Hashem, have one of them. No one else has anything on their little porches. They're just bare concrete pads. I am the only person who has put anything on my porch out of the four porch-having units. Oh, this is the start of a horror movie. They're really like, why did you put something on your porch? Don't you know what happens at night? <laughs> yeah, the porch monster comes. Although one of the porch apartments is empty right now, I think. So maybe whoever moves in will put stuff out. Also, the people in my apartment complex are generally a little on the older side. So some of them, I bet, just like don't have the energy or ability to put big furniture outside that they're going to have to move back and forth sometimes. I can imagine there'd be one crazy old lady with a million plants and a thousand chairs. <sighs> I'm going to be that crazy old lady. I hope so. I think I think you have the makings for it. I am. Um, are we here to talk about Talmud? Yes, we are. Yep, we are. Okay. So, this question is from Riled Up Roommate. Hey friends, I'm looking for wisdom from you and the Talmud about a tricky situation I've been dealing with. I was living with two roommates who are both in my small grad school program, and one of them left abruptly. There was some real uncertainty about whether those of us left would have to move or would be on the hook for a whole lot of money, and the person who left also badmouthed us to the landlord while refusing to talk to us. I also learned after the fact that they were absolutely furious with me about things they'd never brought up while we were living together, and they said terrible things about me as a person. Here's my question. We're going to be in the same small community for years to come, so how should I proceed? Mediated conversation? Avoidance? Do I have to apologize even if they don't? Help! Oh, hmm. That's our question. Ooh. I've got sources, obviously, <clears throat> Michael, but uh, I'd love to hear your fresh take. Well, it sounds like the person that you're dealing with, you can't approach them as if they're going to react to you in good faith if what you're saying is true right mm -hmm. they're talking behind your back they're bad mouthing you you don't engage with people like that you keep your lips sealed you do not make a peep and you let them if they're gonna bad mouth you in your small community eventually they're gonna fuck up eventually people in the small community are gonna realize who the real problem is so be a graceful member of the community do not engage if someone asks tell the truth but you know don't expound on the pain yeah in general i agree with that philosophy that if there is someone who is talking trash and stirring the pot it almost always benefits one to be the one who's talking less about things. Yep. And that is not what I brought sources about today, but I do think it is relevant and interesting advice for the situation. For the first part, I focused in on this element of the question, which was, do I have to apologize even if they don't? And sort of what I see as an implicit question in this question, which is like, do I have to figure out what I've done wrong? What is my like ethical responsibility in this situation? 
which doesn't necessarily apply to this particular situation, but in general, that's what we're going to talk about. Well, I don't. We don't know enough about the particulars of this situation to say oh. whether it applies or not. I'm so taking the writer's side and imagining they've actually done nothing wrong, and there's nothing to right, really apologize right. for. Uh, yeah, we we don't know, but there seems to be both the question of how to respond and also like what is their responsibility in terms of like repairing and like making everything workable in the small community. Okay. All right. So I brought three different sources. I'll start off with two, which I'll read right off together. So this first one is from Rambam's Mishnah Torah in his section about repentance, chapter two, halacha one. Ezo hi tshuva gmura. So what comprises a complete repentance? If a person confronts the same situation in which they sinned and has the potential to do it again, and yet abstains and does not commit because of repentance. Hmm. And then I'm going to bring the second source on the same topic, which is... From Rosh Hashanah 16b. So Rabbi Yitzchak said, a person's sentence, a person's decree, is torn up on account of four things, and these are them. Charity, crying out, a change of one's name, and a change of one's deed. Rabbi Yitzchak is sort of talking about, like, if it has been decreed in heaven that you're going to be punished in some way for your actions, these are sort of the four approaches to getting rid of that decree. So the piece that I'm focusing in on here is it seems like in the situation of our dear listener, they have not been given a lot of information about what they did wrong. Yeah, yeah. And a key part of the... Jewish approach to repentance, at least as represented by these two sources, seems to be you need to fully comprehend what you did in order to change it. So, for instance, if we're going by the Maimonides definition where he says repentance is if you return to the same situation and you have the power to do the same thing again, but you don't because of repentance, that requires like conscious knowledge of an error and the circumstances that led to it, to know if you're approaching the same circumstances. So in order to do repair by Maimonides' system, you need to know what the issue was in the first place. And the second one, we have tzedakah, so charity, crying out in prayer, a change of your name, and a change of your deeds, which again, I'm just focusing in on the change of the deeds here. You may incidentally change your deeds, but it really helps to know what your deeds were in order to make sure that you change them from the previous erroneous deeds. Yeah, that makes sense. But in this particular case, it's like, can you trust the person who you've supposedly wronged to tell you the things that you've done wrong, if you've done anything wrong at all? Right. My advice related to these sources is basically, if there is no reliable way for you to figure out what you have done that might be wrong, there is no way for you to repair that and... I am personally of the opinion from a Jewish perspective that you are sort of free from your obligation to do teshuvah until you are able to even know what happened. Uh, okay, that makes sense. But do you think it is the listener's responsibility to figure out if there's anything wrong that they did? I think, and this is getting real hair-splitty, but I do think we all 
have a responsibility to within reason try to find out and also there is only so far we can go in figuring out what gripes other people might have with us that they decided to keep to themselves i don't think judaism and i don't think our ethical responsibilities in general ask us to be mind readers but they also ask a non-zero amount of effort you know yeah gotta put something out there to me, it sounds like the listener is either willing to or already has put some effort into figuring out what happened. But the real kernel of what I'm getting at here is like repair and particularly like getting along in community is a two way street. If the other half of the equation isn't interested in things being OK in your small community, you can't take on the responsibility of sort of getting them to collaborate on that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. If they are just willing for everything to be shitty in your small community, as much as that sucks, in my opinion, there's nothing we can do that will coerce or trick someone into wanting to make things okay. Right, right. But just to be safe, change your name. <laughs> right, but maybe change your name, says Rabbi Yitzchak. So I want to bring one more source, and partially this I just thought was a really cool and fun story. And partially, I think it's relevant um, with regards to the person in question, the offender, so to speak, not our listener. So this is from Ta'anit 20b, and I'm just going to read this one in translation because it's a, quite a bit of a chunk of text. So Rabbi Elazar was going around and he happened upon an exceedingly ugly person who said, greetings to you, my rabbi. But Rabbi Elazar ignored him. Instead, Rabbi Elazar said, Worthless person, how ugly is that man? Are all the people of your city as ugly as you? Oh my god. And the man said to him, I do not know you, but you should go before the craftsman who made me and say, How ugly is the vessel you made? Oh my god. I know. Oh snap. Oh wow. And when Rebbe Elazar realized he had sinned and insulted this man merely on account of his appearance, he descended from his donkey and prostrated himself before him, and he said, I have sinned against you. Forgive me. And the man said to him, I will not forgive you until you go to the craftsman who made me and say, how ugly is the vessel you made? <gasps> oh, yeah, he's basically wow. like, you're not getting off the hook that easy. Like, work your shit out, Rebbe Elazar. Oh, my God. Okay, wow. So, partially, I felt like this was just relevant to the sort of idea that it takes two people to tango in a reparative process. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't know, I guess I tend to root for the ugly man here. And I'm casting our listener in that role, not because they're ugly, but because I think that sometimes it's okay to, like, not give in to other people's demands that you uh, forgive them. Maybe I can think of a better way to say this. But what I'm trying to say is like, it seems like this person who left your living situation did it without notice, without explanation, and continue to badmouth you after that was over. I don't think that it's on you to fix that. I can see why you might want to fix that for everything to be okay in your community, but I think that it is okay to just choose to sort of cut off that relationship. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Sometimes, you know, if you're a cool diva or whatever, 
people <laughs> people can't handle your power. People can't handle it. And and they're going to not pay the rent. This exact scenario happened to us, Hava. Like, very similar. It's true. It's true. Very similar thing did transpire in one of Michael and I's living situations before. Yeah, we had a housemate that hated me because I have a Y chromosome, probably. Perhaps. We won't know without testing. That was it, you know? Yeah. I can't apologize for that. Part of what I was trying to get at here is also, like, bad-mouthing someone is what Rebbe Elazar was doing. And talking shit about people, especially, like, talking it in public to other members of the same community is like a powerful action with consequences that sometimes can't be undone. And this person did that, and that is intense and, in my opinion, fucked up. And I think it's probably okay to just be like, you know what? I am not going to deal with your shit. I am not going to deal with if you decide to prostrate yourself like Rabbi Elazar. Like, take this up between you and God. <laughs> yeah. So we started with the essence of this listener question being, how do I respond do I seek mediated conversation? Do I avoid? Do I apologize even if they don't? And my answer based on the sources is you can't apologize for something you don't fully comprehend. That's just not possible. Teshuva is not possible from a Jewish perspective without full comprehension of your actions, in my opinion. So I don't think the answer is to apologize even if they don't. And I think it seems like you've probably done your due diligence in trying to figure out what happened, but there's only so much that can be expected of you. As far as avoidance, that feels more like a question of what the practicalities of your situation in particular look like to your listener. But I would just say, you know, like Michael said in the beginning, it never hurts to be the one who talks about the situation less, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Or at least talks about it in very private ways. Yes. So basically what I'm saying is it seems like you've done what you can. And until that other person decides they want to be a part of making everything work in your small community, all you can do is keep your side of the street clean. Keep it clean. Keep it nice. Keep it swept. Keep it fresh. Yeah. Sounds great. Wow. Thank you, Hava. Thank you, listener. Thank you for writing in, dear listener. I hope this has been helpful. It sounds like a really tricky situation, and I am sorry you had to go through that. Well, that's the show, folks. That's the show. We hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we're going to talk about something else. I haven't decided what yet, but something. This bonus app, we're continuing down the DOF we started. Last oh, right. Week. The experience in consecutive DOFs. Yeah. If you want to get twice as much, Chai, how are you? Become a patron at patreon.com. So That's Chai, right. how are you? We're going to learn more about Rabbi Bana. Bana? Yeah, that's how you pronounce it. Banamana. Yeah. Get ready. Um. Okay. Great. Well, y'all are awesome. Most beautiful podcast listeners in the world. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.